times in years. Uh, our family of six, four kids, and something decided. The, the age-old question, the, the pressing question of the first world, a uh, pretty relatively prosperous nation, where shall we eat? Which restaurant shall we choose? And inevitably, without many opinions, we have a difference of opinion. And so I've trained my kids how to very carefully make a decision about where you should go eat. You reach in your pocket, pull out a quarter, and you flip it, heads or tails. You pick two choices and you go heads, rib rib, tails. We got new, lots of choices now. Aha, feet a bit, blah, 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 anyway. And so you flip, and you know, inevitably, whoever lost would be upset, you know. Two out of three is what they would say. Yeah, right? And so we would flip it. In fact, we've had flip-offs of four restaurants where we had semi-finals and then a final. Right? <laughs> we decide where we're going to eat. And, and, and guaranteed three people unhappy. But they usually, they usually rock and usually ate pretty good. Yeah, you know. But I want to ask you today, would you ever pull a coin out of your pocket and say, uh, lawyer, or minister? Would you ever pull a coin out of your pocket and say, I'll ask her to marry me or I won't? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. But I, I think we don't think so much about the choices that we make that set the course of our life. Sometimes I don't think we think about how the choices we make in everyday life reflect upon our faith, our lack of faith. The Bible is all about choices. In Habakkuk 2, I think you see a very clear choice that Habakkuk is kind of wrestling with and, and laying out. He's saying, am, am I going to trust God? Or, or It seems like Babylon has it all together. Is, is Babylon just going to have and take over the world and can I trust God or, or should I just go with the flow? Should I just kind of recede back into the mover? Should I not make a stand? Should I not make a witness? Scripture has all kinds of choices. I want to look at some of those as we begin today. Scriptural choices that you see. That we get examples of people having to make a choice about who they would follow, about whose priorities they would live by. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, Moses says, This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, does you and your children. Amen. Choose life. Joshua 24, 15. Perhaps you have special place in your heart for this verse. It is one that always has kind of guided our family. But if serving the Lord sends up desire for you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. It is a choice that Joshua says you must make today. First Kings 1821, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? 
If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Other people said nothing. So there actually are three choices here. And then I'll just uh, have laid before them that the, the people introduced that third option. There is choose God, choose the Baals, or choose to be neutral, choose to do nothing. Choose God, choose false gods, or choose to sit on the fence. In Psalm 1-6 it says, For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So he's saying there, and, and by the way, the way we make choices, whether we realize it or not, the way our brain makes choices is, is we do cost-benefit analysis. If I make this choice, what will it cost me? If I make this choice, how will I benefit? That way we try to weigh those together. Now the reason you have a choice and a difficulty making a choice about which restaurant you're going is, is maybe there, it's, one, it's not so crucial, two, maybe the cost and benefits are not that dissimilar. But when we make choices, we need to think about the consequences, the cost and the benefits. And this one makes it clear that we choose one way, the way of the righteous, or we choose the way of the wicked or the selfish, and the consequences are immense. The way of the righteous leads to eternal life in heaven. The way of the wicked leads to death. Choices have consequences. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. That is, if we follow our own, uh, our own fleshly, our own material, our own worldly leanings, if we do what we want to do selfishly, it's a way that leads to death. And then Jesus gave us these trepidatious words in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Choices. Which road will we walk? Which way we choose to go. And so that sets the stage, I think, for us to, to look at the whole of Habakkuk 2. You remember we pulled out verse 4 last week and talked about how the righteous shall live by faith. And I hope you had a good week this week uh, of making that choice to, to be faithful, even if you didn't feel it. To be faithful, even if you weren't sure how that would work. Because I tell you, it's building week upon week of choosing to put the Lord first. It's building upon week on week of choosing to put the Lord first, even in tough times and troublesome times, that will help you to have and to build a witness and a life that matters, a life that impacts many others, a life that carries others with you. There are three instructions here in Habakkuk 2 uh, for Habakkuk from God. This is God speaking to Habakkuk. Uh, the first is, you're to write. You're to write. Habakkuk 2.2, 2, the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Write down the revelation. What is the Bible if it is not God inspiring his people through the Holy Spirit to write down 
the revelation, the, the true words of God. It's how we understand the plan of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It's how we understand what is God's character, what is his personality, what are his priorities, what are his values. Writing down is the way that the scripture gives us uh, to understand who God is. It's the very clearly lay out for us this way, this choice we can choose to, to turn away from putting self first and, and to put God first who created us, to allow Jesus, his son, to be the Lord of our life, to seek to please him in every area of our life. It's how we know that is because it was written down. But even more, he says it's for you, it's actually right. Right. Let me tell you something I, I shared with somebody this weekend. I, I've shared it several times. I, I really think this is important. It was helpful for several, so I want to share it with all of you. Basically, it's this, that sometimes I believe our feelings, and God made us with feelings, they're not bad, emotions are not bad, but God made us with feelings, and sometimes our feelings can mislead us. Our emotions can betray us. I, I don't believe we can let ourselves be controlled by emotion, by feeling. I believe God gives us his truth that we might rely on it first, that it might be our foundation, that instead of relying on being controlled by our feelings, we allow ourselves to be controlled by the truth. We fall back to the truth. And so what I encourage people to do is when you feel like God is not listening, or when you feel like God is not responding, when you feel like that this relationship is not working, when you feel like your, your material needs are not met, when you feel like your illness is not being healed, when you feel that way, to write down the promises of God and to meditate on them, to think about His truth and let that override your feelings, your emotions. See, a feeling is not bad, but it can mislead us. It can take us down a path that God doesn't want us on. A path of misery. A path of uncertainty. A path, maybe, where we make bad choices. Write down, he says, write down the truth. Let me say something to you. It's a great exercise for all of us, even if you're not struggling. It's a great exercise to journal, to write down your thoughts, to even write down your prayers. It's a great idea for us to write down the promises of God so that they come deep into our minds. Because His promises are eternal. His promises are totally trustworthy. His truth, we need to write down. The second instruction is to wait. Is to wait. One, <laughs> uh, I don't like to see in Scripture. I, I wish God wrote down uh, completely and, and always take action. Do something. I wish God had wrote down, there should be no red lights. Or no stop signs. But that's not what he says. For the revelation, uh, this is verse two, or verse 3 of chapter 2. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it may be wait for it, I will, it will certainly come. It will not delay. Now what's Habakkuk's problem? His problem is that this totally 
selfish, this totally wicked nation, Babylon. This nation which does whatever it wants, which scratches the, the worldly, uh, fleshly itches of every kind, who lives a debaucherous, uh, very wicked and, and evil life, that they are in power. They seem to be blessed. They seem to, to be protected. They seem to be prospering. And what God's saying here is, in due time, I will act. In due time, I will judge. In due time, Babylon will be the Lord. In due time, what Babylon sows, they shall reap. And so what we need to hear, as we think about this instruction in our lives, is God's time is not ours. God can seem to be late. He's not. In his time, in his plan, he acts at the right time. It's for us to wait upon him and to watch. But we can trust that principle that I just referred to. That whatsoever a person sows, they shall be. That goes both ways. If we sow selfish and we can see that it will come up. If we sow godly and loving seed, sacrificial seed, then it will come up as well. Wait. Hard to wait. But again, I think thinking about the promises of God can give us the motivation. Thinking about the promises of God can give us the kind of confidence and even the peace to wait. Not just waiting begrudgingly, but waiting because we know that God will show up. We know that God will do what he said he would do. We know that God will bring the right harvest for those actions. So write, wait, and remember. Remember is the third instruction to the back. Remember. Remember what? Verses 4 and 5. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. <clears throat> the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, right, mind betrays him, his arrogant and never at rest. Because he is greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. Well, you might not have seen the remember there, but I think you <coughs> get that by that contrast that he makes. See, he, and he's talking about Nebuchadnezzar, ultimately all about them, he is puffed up. He thinks he's all that. He is seemingly in charge and blessed. And so they do all these terrible things. And they take over the nations all around them. But the righteous will live by faith. You weren't able to be here last week. I talked a lot about that. That was the, the focus of the message. You're welcome to get a, a, a copy of that. But for this day, let me say that what he's saying is remember, remember the contrast. The ungodly live for today. The ungodly walk by sight. The righteous, however, live by faith. The righteous live for the future. The righteous shall walk by faith and not by sight. Remember that. For in the moment, very difficult. In the moment when it seems as if 
it's not fair. But in a moment when it seems as if those who are godly get what they want and those who are, who are godly have terrible times, in a moment it seems as if it's not equitable. But remember, the righteous walk by faith and not by sight. So for each of us, I think today, as we think about the choice of for whom we're going to live, as we think about the choice of, of what we're going to do each day, and the choices that we make of, of what we're going to do in life, what we're going to watch on television, what we're going to spend and invest our mind in, and whether it be media or, or reading or, or on the internet, as we think about how we're going to, to spend our time and our money, our energy, as we think about it, make those choices. I think it's important for us, perhaps, as well, to write and to wait and to remember. And so then, in the rest of this chapter, he gives five woes unto Babylon. Remember, Babylon sings on top of the world. But there are five woes in this oracle uh, that Habakkuk is to know that will happen to Babylon. The first woe is this, and what I want you to see in here is how like these woes, these judgments on Babylon could be made into our world today. And how like uh, people who live by uh, sight today, people who live by selfish interests, uh, people who live by material greed, how they have some of these same judgments perhaps to worry about, be concerned about going forward into the future when God is done waiting. The first is this, we find in, in chapter, uh, excuse me, verse 6, extortion. <clears throat> Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and, and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Now, the all of them, well, not all of them, it will be, he's talking about the people who choose to be God. But basically saying and that their choice to choose God will be and show pretty good in the, in the future. Now, woe is a word in Scripture that whatever follows is never good. But when God says woe, it's not like when a person riding a horse says woe. Stop. The woe means you're in trouble. Woe means, like my kids know, they have always been afraid of one phrase that comes out of my mouth. Dad, come because that means I've gone from just being agitated. I've gone from being irritated. What is about to come is not good. So usually when I would say that government, they would scatter. Whoa, W-O-E. When God says woe, it means action is coming. It means you are in big trouble. And he says this extortion. It's unacceptable. Whoa. Secondly, arrogance. The second woe. Verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house uh, of the thing, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. <coughs> that doesn't sound familiar to our world today. People who think they're princes of the universe. People who think that perhaps they're above everyone else. And I'm not so naive to understand it. 
these tendrils of temptation to think of ourselves better than others can't prevent that even us are in church. Arrogance is something God says both. Both is the arrogant. Another place in scripture says that God brings down the proud. And so woe about woe to any of us who are proud in and of ourselves. The third woe is bloodshed, violence. And this is verse 12. Woe to him who built the city with bloodshed and established the town by injustice. And violence is never the answer. But again, it sounds like the it sounds like people who take by physical might, by physical power, they take and do what they want. The fourth woe, very prevalent in today's world, is immorality. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wine skins of their drunk, so that he can make days on their naked bodies. <clears throat> any kind of perversion, any kind of thinking about sexual things other than the direction of God gives us to lead to terrible calamity, terrible consequences. Woe to Babylon for their corruption of the, the sexual desires that God plants in people. And idolatry is the fifth one. Idolatry, verse 19. Uh, verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Kind of humorous, right? If it wasn't a oracle of judgment. Woe to people who put their trust in things that are alive. Woe to people who put their trust in things that will rust and mock or destroy. But does our world, can you hear that? Today. Woe to people who put their trust in the world one day. Woe to people who put their trust in their title or their business. See, there's very clearly the choice that we make in different ways every day. And that's, I hope I've surfaced that for you. I want to close today by asking you which team will you choose? You see, in uh, BC 605, it seemed like Team Babylon was going to be in power forever. It seemed like they were on top of the world. In 605 BC, it seemed like Team Babylon would be in control forever. You know, less than 100 years later, Team Babylon had vanished from the earth. So, as we think about today, which team we choose, are we going to live our life by, by worldly values and worldly priorities, by things that gratify ourselves, going to choose to, to live by God's values, by God's priorities. So we're going to choose to, to live our life putting God first. Though the short-term benefits will be lessened, the long-term consequences, the contrast can't be greater. As we read in Scripture, 
The way of the righteous leads to life, to eternal life. The way of the wicked, the way of the selfish, the way of the world, they leads to death. We think about that today. Team self, team God, or team neutral. <coughs> Two of those three choices are deadly. See, I don't believe it's an option to be neutral. But I know in our culture today, it's very easy to be neutral. It's easy to even maybe go and say, I'm a believer in God. But internally, not make those choices, not make those sacrifices, not make that commitment. I wonder today, is God stirring in you with his spirit the winds of change, the winds of greater commitment to him? Old song that I, as I was thinking about how to make this come to life this week, I found the lyrics on the, the internet. It's a song about George Jones. You know, I said to the worship team before the service, Everybody under the age of 30 in here is going to have no idea what I'm talking about. George Jones. George Jones was an old traditional country singer. You know, he was always talking about losing mama or a prison or, you know, always his songs of heartbreak and whatnot. And then suddenly he's going to be our dream and said, I'm 36 and I have no idea who that is. You don't have to know who it is to hear these words, the truth of these words. I've had choices since the day that I was born. There were voices that told me right from wrong. If I had listened, no, I wouldn't be here today. Living and dying were the choices I made. I was tempted by an early age. I found I liked drinking. Oh, and I never turned it down. There were loved ones, but I turned them all away. Now I'm living and dying were the choices I made. Listen to this. I guess I'm paying for the things that I've done. If I could go back, oh Lord knows I'd run. But I'm still losing this game of life I play. Living and dying with the choices I made. It's not a game. You only have one life. You can live. My hope is we do not waste another day. Be a neutral are playing like we're on God's team and we're really on the self team. I pray this day that we would choose life. I pray this day that we would choose the team of the Lord. Fathers, we think about these things. Sober words, this challenge that we have, the words we need to hear. You Always tell us not what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. I pray today that we would think strongly, carefully about our lifestyle, about the choices that we've made. And even more, I want us to think about the choice we can make today to get back in the line. And we realize we've been, we've been off track. We realize there's things in our life we've chosen that 
that aren't pleasing to you. I pray that you would bless those today, that you could help us turn away from those those habits, those choices, and we could get back in that, that narrow way that leads to life. Father, help us not to, to be pulled in by what everybody else is doing, how everybody else is living. Help us instead to, to look to your truth, to give you first place in our life. And I know you will bring life upon them. I know that you will bring your satisfaction, your joy, your hope, your peace. We come to you today, Father, asking you to direct us and give us the courage to live like you want us to live. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.